0: Revelation chapter 17, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. And the title of our message today is The Fall of Babylon, Religious Babylon. So Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Um, Adrian Rogers has a wonderful book entitled Unveiling the End Times in Our Time. And the subtitle reads, The Triumph of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, in the book of Revelation. Though he is dead and in heaven above, uh, Adrian Rogers still speaks through his preaching, his teaching, and writing. He tells the true story about one of his granddaughters, and he tells this story in the chapter entitled, Beauty and — anybody want to guess? — The Beast. Beauty and the Beast is the title of the chapter that he wrote in his book on eschatology, on the book of Revelation, when he came to Revelation chapter 17. He said, because in chapter 17 there is a lady. And in one sense she is a beauty, but on another sense, and a much deeper level, she is a beast. So he tells the true story of when one of his granddaughters was getting married, and that granddaughter asked her grandfather, Adrian Rogers, she said, Granddaddy, would it be okay that once we get married, would you take us to our car in your 1929 Model A Ford. The the black and and yellow Model A Ford. We just think that would be the coolest thing. Would you take us from the chapel to our car and then we'll be on our way to the honeymoon? He said, honey, absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. So they decorated it. They put uh, Just Married and they put the little tin cans on the back. and, And even though it was just a short ride from the chapel to their car, they made a big deal out of it. And Adrian Rogers drove his... His granddaughter and her new husband to their car. Well, another granddaughter came up and said, Well, Granddaddy, the car's out. It's all decked up. Let's take it for a spin. Now, she's an attractive 20 something year old (laughs) granddaughter. They get in the car. Now, by the way, it still says, Just marry. Still (laughs) the tin cans. And uh, so they're driving down the highway, and he says, These especially these truck driver guys, are going by and honking the horn. They're clapping, and they're doing this number. And he goes, what in the world is into these guys? And he goes, oh, my word. He said, I realize what they're thinking. They're thinking, how could this old geezer get a 20, beautiful 20-something-year-old to marry him? So it's kind of funny, but he says in his chapter, he says, you know, my granddaughter is a, is a beauty on the outside as well as on the inside but I cannot say the same for this lady in Revelation chapter 17. Some people believe that this is the most difficult of all the passages in the whole apocalypse, in the book of Revelation. In fact, Paige Patterson is one of them, uh, who has forgotten more than I will ever know about Scripture, and he says this is the hardest. This is probably the most difficult text of all the texts in the book of Revelation. So I I think I know why he said that. There's so much imagery, there's so much metaphor and and simile and analogy because we're talking about a woman, but you can't say she is a literal woman because, verse 15 says, she sits on many waters. She sits on kings and princes and nations. So automatically we know we're not talking about a physical, literal woman. Then there's a beast. There's a beast with seven heads and ten horns. So we know immediately that we're not talking about some natural, hideous animal kingdom monster. No, we're we're talking about something else. And so we're only going to look at verses 1 through 6, then next week we're going to get into more and more depth of this, but it's so important, I think, that we understand who these key figures are. So let me read the text. We'll share this message about religious Babylon, and we can borrow Adrian Rogers' title if we need to and call it Beauty and the Beast, because in some sense, She is a beautiful woman. I mean, she is arrayed, and she is decked with gold and purple and scarlet, and she has much influence and power, but within the end, the inside, it's a whole different story. John says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls. Now remember, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, now the seven bowls have all come to fruition. God has poured out judgment on planet Earth because of the egregious acts of disobedience and sin against heaven above. And so God has poured out these judgments, and one of the angels who poured out one of the bold judgments came to John and talked with him and said, come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. So she's called a porneia, a harlot. A prostitute. In fact, seven times you're going to read this word pornea or pornos. Sound familiar to anybody? It's where we get the root word in our English, porno or pornography. And whenever you see the word harlot or prostitute or fornication, that is the same Greek word in our pericope in our text that we're reading this morning. Now, this woman with whom the kings of the earth committed pornea, fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit, this angel did, in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman, and there she was sitting on a scarlet beast, and this beast was full of eyes, and he was full of names of blasphemy, and he had seven heads and ten horns. Okay, got that in your mind's eye? This imagery of this woman sitting on many nations and underneath, undergirding all of this, is this beast of 13.1 and also in chapter 16. We've read him. We know who he is. He's none other than the Antichrist, okay? And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. See the beauty? And adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. And she has in her hand a golden cup. Now watch this. This is This powerful language that John is communicating to us. And within this cup are all sorts of abominations and apartha, filthiness, of her pornea, fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And John said, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her," now watch this. This to me is one of the most fascinating statements in all the book of Revelation. John has given us 16 chapters, and yet he waits till he sees this before he says that. Literally in the Greek it says, I marveled with astonishment, with great astonishment. That's literally what he's saying. He's trying to communicate with us, I've seen a lot. I've seen seven successive waves times three, twenty-one judgments, but I'm telling you when I saw that, I was overwhelmed with amazement. Why? Why would John say that at this point? And that's what we're going to talk about today. I, I just feel like we need to pray. I just feel like we need to say, God, give us wisdom. Lord Jesus, we ask You, give us minds, Lord, to understand. God, give us hearts to obey. Thank You, Jesus, that You teach us in John chapter 4, 24, that You desire us as Your people to worship You in spirit and in truth. I pray today, God, that it would be an exercise of both. We would worship You in spirit with our wills, with our volition, with our emotion, with our excitement, with our, our utter being, Oh God, we would worship You. And then with truth, with knowledge, with interpretation. With wisdom, with doctrine, and theology, and dogma, and history, and philosophy, and all these things, God, we know they're important, and we want to offer them to you in an act of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I read a text just just this morning, not a text, what do you call those things on Twitter? Tweet. Tweet. Tweet, tweet. I read it, and it said, hey, if you go to church today, this is by Ed Stetzer, he has a way of putting things. And you walk away from church today and say, man, that was cool. That was cool music. Pastor was a cool dude and shared a neat message. And man, everybody was happy. Ed Stetzer says, then you you miss church. Because it's not about coolness. Y'all can look at me and say amen to that. It's not about coolness. not the cool factor. It's not about whether we like the the genre of music or not. It's, It's not the way I dress or the way I part my hair. Do we meet God today? Do we meet Him in His Word? Do we worship Him with our hearts? Are we, are we worshiping Him with our minds? I'm telling you guys, we're going to the gym this morning. You ready? Go Get down there. We're going to do some push-ups. Woo! Yeah, we're going to do one, two. We're going we're to exercise our minds. My wife hates it when I do stuff like that, and I, I do too, because I don't never know I'm going to do stuff like that. Forgive me, Ashley. It's not in the script. Are, are you ready to worship God with your mind? Say amen. amen. I'm glad to be in church today, Brother Danny. Say amen. amen. Person next to me doesn't smell real good, Brother Danny. Say amen. No, don't say that. <laughs> say well, we're glad to be here. We're worshiping God. John Bailey, how are you doing? Bless you. Teacher of the Word of God. We're going to worship with our minds. We're going to figure out today, by God's grace and wisdom, who this lady is, what this beast is about. And we're going to look at these saints. Now, Jesus said this, don't fear, don't worry. I don't know about you, but this past week, you know, it's like week after week, okay? So here are a few things that happened. Planned Parenthood, we find out, is sponsoring and selling aborted babies' parts for money that's been exposed. We found that out for a fact. We find out that Obamacare now is forcing people like Guidestone Christian Resources Insurance to pay for the abortion pills. Some demonic Islamic jihadist, call it what it is, goes into a recruitment office and murders five servicemen. I mean, I I look at these things and say, God— What is happening in America? What is happening in this world in which we live and which we love? And I don't know about you, but it just, it almost makes me just well up and just shake my fist and say, Oh God, please come and save the day. And God says, I am, I will. Wait, just wait. I will. Look at Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you will have peace, but in the world, there's going to be a lot of peace. There's going to be tribulation. Watch this. But be of good cheer, Nikon, Nikayo, Nike. I have overcome the world. Man, that's good news. Good, good news. All right. Okay. And not to mention Caitlyn Jenner, for heaven's sake. How do you, how do you award someone in sports and she's done nothing athletic in her life? Bruce Jenner did, but he says, don't call me Bruce Jenner, call me Caitlyn. You're talking about the, the act of hypocrisy that we would award somebody courage over a veteran? Don't get me started. God, just help us. Help us. Have mercy on us, Lord. Okay, so some of you are guests today, and you lean over and say, he's not politically correct. <laughs> he's, he's different. Amen. He is. He is. <laughs> oh, he's difficult. And my wife, I'm not even going to look at her today, y'all. She's just she's already going like this. She'll come. She'll just say, well, "What? What was that about? What? What was this?" And I'll say, "I know. I, it's all good." Okay, so we're going to look at the woman first of all, in verse one. I want you to notice something in 17:1. John mentions her judgment before he mentions her description. That's important. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls talked with me, says, Come, and I will show you the judgment. Before he begins to describe her and all of her adornment and beauty and pearls, God says, But John, notice this. This woman will be judged. Literally, verse 1 reads, Crema, which is the Greek word for judge, tes pornes tes megales. You recognize some of those words. criminology, judgment, test pornus, pornography, test mega, megalus, great. Literally it reads, and judgment of her pornography or of her pornea will be great. Uh, one writer says this about this particular word, porns or pornus, or pornea. This is the word that refers to reckless and immoral behavior in the sexual realm. Now, before you conclude that this is physicality, sexualness, it's really not. Whenever, if you notice in the Old Testament especially, when a people have departed from worshiping the one true God and they turn to apostate or false religions, though they are supposed to be worshiping their one true husband, if you will... And they've abandoned that religion, and they are sampling other religions. The Bible calls that harlotry. I know that's that's pretty vague. I mean, not vague. I know it's very blatant, but it calls it harlotry, fornication, unfaithfulness, ungodliness. And that's the way John sees this, this woman. I like the way John MacArthur describes her. He says, the great harlot is judged, but she's not an actual prostitute. The term harlot is a metaphor for false religion, spiritual defection, idolatry, and religious apostasy. Besides Babylon, there are many cities in the Bible that are referred to as harlots. He goes on to say one of them would be Nineveh, the other one is Tyre, and unfortunately one of them is Jerusalem. They are all examples of cities that committed spiritual fornication, end of quote. This is not a literal woman. I hope this helps you. This is an apostate, amalgamated, one-world religion. And brothers and sisters, it's coming. It's coming with alacrity, with eagerness, and with fierceness. All the politics of the world and the economics are going to be centered around a very charismatic person, the Antichrist, and he will be in bed with all the religions of the world will be put together, and everybody, listen, right around our city, you see the big bumper sticker it says, "coexist." Where oh, We're all, no differences, just put us all in one big pot, except one group especially will be hated and despised, verses 5 and 6, and you guessed it, the followers of Jesus will become martyrs. They will not be tolerated by this woman. Well, we're moving in that direction, are we not? Tolerance is king. Conviction is is a vice. Let's just tear down the theological walls that divide us. Let's just all be one happy human race, human family. Let's don't make so many distinctions in theology. Listen, if it's Buddha, that's good for you. If it's Muhammad, that's good for you. If it's Jesus, so be it. If it's Confucius, if whoever it is, just don't get all riled up about religion because they're all the same after all. Don't worry about it. Let's just all get along. You ever heard that? If you have it, then you haven't shared the gospel lately. If you witness — my wife was witnessing to a lady recently, and she said, I, I love Jesus, just not the Jesus in the Bible. So I like, well, honey, what other Jesus is there? Well, where are, you, where are you going to find Him except in, in here? And Jesus has some, some powerful things by saying, talking about exclusivity, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through me. I lay down my life, and if you don't enter through me, you don't enter at all. Man, that's, that's serious. That's divisive. That's offensive, but it's, but it's true. And if it's true, then we need to herald it, and we need to preach it with passion and with compassion, and we need to tell the world there's hope, there's a Savior, there's a God that really does love us. And he gave his son, Jesus, and then after Jesus lived a perfect life, died on a cross, arose from the dead for 40 days, he preached the kingdom of God, he arose from the dead, and then, wham, the Holy Spirit of God. God came down in Acts chapter 2, and there he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one in three, three in one, the one true God. And by the way, that's who we worship at Great Hills. It's that God that we worship. <clears throat> I'm still in verse 1. Bear with me. I'm on page 3 of my notes. Oh, by the way. Um, I just don't have time. I, I wish I had more time, but we just don't. Just, it's just the way it is. But if you want the notes, you, you can get them. I mean, you can go online, you can download them. Brother Terry was sharing earlier, we make these free and no charge. You take them and put them together in a book, you'll have the whole book, a, a commentary. And I got all the quotes and the footnotes and all that. I'm out of breath. Hold on. In the book of Revelation, here it is. All right, so verse 1 says, She sits on many waters. Now let me show you what that is. Look at verse 15. Bring your Bibles to church. It's great. Or bring your app. Look, look at verse 15. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are, and he's telling us, peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Okay? Verse 2, the angel uses graphic, bold language to communicate to John and to the reader who this woman really is. Her vile practices, her her sins, which we know what fornication and, and immorality and drunkenness are. And John says he sees this. It's not in the physical realm with this woman, but it's in this spiritual realm when we should be acknowledging the one true God. People have been duped, and they are worshiping this Amalgamated, combined, coexisting religion where everything is just poured into the melting pot, and that's what John sees. Verse 3 the angel carries John to the wilderness in this vision. Now, when you see wilderness in the Bible, don't think about a forest, don't think about the hill country, uh, don't think about that at all. That's not what the Bible's saying. Wilderness connotes the ideals of barrenness and wasteland. And there John sees in verse 3, she is sitting on a beast. 13.1, 16.10 says it's none other than the Antichrist. One writer puts it this way, the woman who is riding the beast is dependent on that beast and as a religious system is in union with the beast. So the Antichrist will have his false prophet. And everybody will be worshiping all the gods they want and everything will be fine until come back next week, something shifts. There's a seismic, tectonic, religious shift where the Antichrist says, enough of that. We're not worshiping all these gods. We're going to worship me. And if y'all don't think we're that far from that, you need to realize we are close to that. Our world is desperately hungry and craving for a man to rise up solve the issues in the Middle East, solve the economic problems, who's going to put Russia in her place, what's going to happen to China, what about, what about all these countries and Iran all these nuclear — I tell you, we are poised. We are ready for that guy just to rise up out of the waters and say, I am your answer. And I promise you people, people are going to fall down head over heels because he's going to be good-looking, he's going to be brilliant, he's going to be charismatic and dynamic, and people are literally going to bow down and worship. And if they don't, they'll pay the ultimate price. It's just coming. So here is a classic example of why we do not like when the church and the state are intertwined. You ever notice when the church and the state, and in this situation it's the church, the harlot, and the state, the Antichrist, whenever they are in cohort, or whether they are in union, it's never a good thing. Whether it's the inquisitions and the crusades in, in our past, which we repent of that. And that's not genuine Christianity. When, when the state and Constantine are, are married with the church, and Constantine just says, well, baptize everybody. Everybody, you're Christians now. That's not good. That's never a good thing. How about the caliphate? You think it's a bad thing? It's a horrible thing when the caliphate, the religion of Islam, rules when the politics of Islam. And uh, ladies, if it comes here, get ready to cover up your whole body and get ready for strict sh- Sharia law. That's never a good thing. We sh- and Thomas Jefferson brilliantly wrote to the Danbury Baptist a couple hundred years ago, there ought to be a wall dividing the church and the state. And when it's not, and when they are co-mingled together, This is what happens. The the church either loses her prophetic voice or she engages in gross, egregious sin. Oh, she's decked out, church. Look at verse 4. Her clothing reflects her opulence and her apostasy. I'm in verse 4. It says, purple and scarlet. Purple is the color of royalty. And scarlet denotes luxury and splendor. And by the way, who else was... Who else was arrayed purple and scarlet at his passion? Remember when they stripped Jesus almost naked and the soldiers put on him a purple and scarlet robe and mocked him. True religion and undefiled is that, is Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead. But this This deception, this deceit, is this woman. She has this scarlet, and she has this purple, and notice she's adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, lavish, charmingly bedecked with all of these ornaments. And that's why I agree with the writer. He says, Adrian Rogers says, yes, there's beauty on the outside, but within there's a ravenous beast. And then it says she has a golden cup, it speaks of her importance. But in that cup, in verse 5, notice this, are all sorts of abominations. Abominations here, in, especially in the Old Testament, always referred to that which was detestable and that which was an idol. Secondly, a catharta, which is the word for filthiness. I'm in verse 5, if you're following along. It means impurity, to be foul, to be unclean. And then then a form of the word pornea is used, fornication, which represents spiritual harlotry. That's all there in verse 5. When I was reading that, it reminded me of a passage of Scripture in the book of Jeremiah when it says, Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. That's that's Jeremiah 51.7. Did y'all see that? The Lord's hand. God is so sovereign. He's so powerful. All of these things operate, but He allows them to operate because He is coming uh, to judge. In verse 5, as we move, keep moving through the text, it says, here's her name. Her name is Mystery. That, that's the first name John sees. What does that mean? The word mystery, Mysterion in the Bible usually refers to something that cannot be understood apart from the revealing power of God. And so she has mystery because she appears to be something on the outside, but there's something different on the inside. And then it says she's called Babylon the Great. And this is where I want to encourage you to get the notes because I've got different quotes and resources and research here that takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 10 with the tower at, anybody? Babel. Babel, Babylon. Babylon. Whenever you see the word Babylon, think of impurity and think of idolatry. Nimrod, the founder of the first Mesopotamian kingdom, go all the way back to Genesis. His wife, and this is very interesting to me, his, Nimrod's wife was a lady named semi aramis in Assyria. She is called Astarte. In Egypt, of all things, her name is Isis. In Greece, Epaphrodite, and in Rome, her name is Venus. And David Jeremiah says this, this woman who originated in Babylon was the first high priestess of idolatry in the world." End of quote. Genesis chapter 10, they're building the Tower of Babel, which is mankind's attempt to reach up to the heavens and do as we very jolly well please, not as the sovereign God tells us, but to do what we want to do. In Babylon, in Babylonia, in Babel, Mesopotamia, it all has its roots here. And so when he says her name is Babylon, the writer communicating to us, especially if we know our Old Testament, that he is saying idolatry, falsehood, pseudo, deception. And he's communicating that to us in this word Babylon. Okay, she is the the mother of harlots of the abominations of the earth. And that's verses 1 through 5. Now look at verse 6. And he says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So number one is the woman, if you're taking notes. Number two is the beast. We're not going to spend any time here because we know who he is. He's in collusion with her, this, this harlot. He will be behind the persecuting of the saints of God in, in collusion with this woman. And thirdly, is the saints. Let me stop there for a moment. The saints. Who are they? I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. That's us. It's the people of God. Do you know that you're a saint? You say, "No, I'm not." Some of you spouses are saying, "No, he's really not a saint." But no, he really is. She really is a saint. The Bible says in the New Testament, to the saints of the church of. And if you, are, if you know Christ, then you have sainthood. You have been born again by the Spirit of God lives within you, and you are a saint. You don't have to be in New Orleans to be a saint. You can be a saint when you come to faith in Christ. And so the Bible refers to us as the saints of God, as those here in verse 6 says, the martyrs, those who have shed their blood. I, I read about these men and women and their great faith. I marvel at their faith. They will not bow down to the woman. They will not bow down to the Antichrist. And because of this, it costs them their lives. So let's try to answer this question in conclusion. Why would John say, I've seen all of this, and yet after having seen her, I'm astonished with all astonishment? Could it be that what has taken John's breath away is this? That the wickedness that he sees is disguised as coming from God, but really it's none other than Satan himself. And I think that's what's happening. I think that's why John is blown away. I believe that's why he gasps with his breath to think, Oh, my word, could a people be so deceived? Could a nation and nations be so deceived that they would think they are serving God in this form, this rubric, this umbrella of religion, but in reality, none other than the enemy of our souls is underneath it all. And I think that's precisely what's happening. You say, well, what are we to do about it? Thank you for asking me, because here's what we're supposed to do about it. If this is all true, and this is still a book of the future, then there are some dark days ahead. And, and I believe it more and more. I, I, I just see it. I see the pieces coming together. It may be in my lifetime. It may be in a hundred lifetimes. I don't know. But I see the pieces coming together for what we are reading in, in the book of Revelation. And so what it makes me want to do, it makes me want to love God more. It makes me want to serve God more. It makes me want to preach His Bible more and to tell as many people as we can the truth. But it also gives me a greater passion for those who do not know the truth. If you, do, if you don't know Christ, then you're going to be in a beautiful position to be deceived. But, but wait a minute, Brother Danny. I, I belong to this religion, or I belong to this mosque, or I go, I go to this temple. You mean to tell me? That all of that is false, and yet it's, it's only Jesus that I go to have. And friend, as, as, as unpalatable as it is for you to hear this, that is the truth. That is the truth. Years ago when I was uh, living in, in Virginia, I, l- I love Virginia. Virginia reminds me so much of Texas. There's just a lot of history and a lot of pride in the great states of Virginia and Texas. And so... Um, And you got some strong-willed people, by the way, in both of those states. And um, I remember when I was pastoring there, my brother, my oldest brother and I, we, we went to the Newport News Mariners Museum. Now, remember, we're on the coast there in Virginia. It's all kinds of history. I actually lived in Yorktown. Somebody help me. The Battle of Yorktown, Cornwallis and Washington fought at the Battle of Yorktown. I lived real close to that and would go and look at that and just think it's amazing. The Civil War. Full of history there in Virginia. One of the first battles, uh, battleships was there in the, in the Chesapeake. Well, anyhow, there's this great museum there called the Newport News Mariner's Museum. And it kind of takes you through the history of ocean liners and battleships and that sort of thing. And we came up, we were just about to leave, and we came upon the Titanic ocean liner display in the museum. Now, everybody's familiar with the Titanic. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio, I mean, they, they've told us what all happened. I mean, there it is, you know. There it is. We've we got that image in our mind, all right? I forget the year. Was it 1914 or somewhere around there? That they said that's the ship that God himself could not sink. And all it took was an iceberg. 1,500 people went to their watery graves. But they had a, they had a display there. They had every name of the person who was on the Titanic on that faithful voyage. Look, seriously. I've, was it 2,000, 2,500? 2, I'm sorry. I can't, can't remember the, the math. I know about 1,500 people died. But here's, here's what it said. It would have like John Smith, would have his age, like 35, it would have his class, whether you were in the, the first class or the second class or the third class of the ship, Okay. And then the last line of the ledger had two words, lost, saved, lost, and saved. And I looked at that ledger and I looked at my oldest brother and I said, Jerry, that's true for all eternity. There is a name beside our name for all eternity, lost, deceived to a Christless hell, are saved, born again by the Spirit of God. If I were to put your name up on this screen, I would not be interested in how old you are at all. I don't don't care when you go on a cruise, whether you're first, second, third, or 50th class, but I would be interested to know out beside your name, which word is written, lost or saved? Let's pray together as we wrap up today. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I I want to implore you again with all that is within me. If you've never come to faith in Christ, there's never been a time, a point in time, in your salvation history where you repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ alone. I beg of you to do that today. Would you call upon the name of the Lord? The Bible says, "Whoever." calls on his name, will be saved. You say, but Brother Danny, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. I don't rightly care. The Bible says that God will wash away your sins. He will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. They will plummet the ocean below. He will remember them no more. All you got to do is remain it and say, God, I am sorry. I turn from my sin and I embrace your son, your Savior Jesus, and I want him to be my king. I want him to be my all. I want to totally devote my life to Him, that we invite you to do that this very moment. Perhaps you're here today and you would say, well, my name is saved. I know the Lord and I'm, I'm walking with Him and I, I want to serve Him well and, and I want to finish well. And I want to say, God bless you, ma'am. Way to go, sir. And we want to come alongside you and be a church to help you and disciple you and teach God's Word to you so that you can go and tell others about how great God is. So if you're here today and you don't have a church home and you're you're saying, Lord, help me, lead me, help me be accountable, help me partner with a body of Christ, then, man, come here. We we want you. We need you. Would you come and say, "I, I want to be a part of this church? If you're interested, come on. Come on to our new members class. Let us tell you more about our church, and we pray that you will come. So, Lord, we just ask you now to bless our invitation. May it be a sweet time, God. May May the Holy Spirit, may the third person of the Trinity speak. And may we listen with rapt attention, with devoted hearts, and we would hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to us. Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for your seer, for your prophet John, who gave us this apocalypse, who has spelled it out for us that this is what's happening, this is what will happen And so, Lord, I pray when we stand in mass that we will sing, we will praise, and, God, we will commit our lives to you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Woo! All God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's all stand up. Brother Terry, lead us in our song of praise. We'll have our invitation. Amen.